0: Hey y'all and welcome to Pain in the Pod. This week I'm talking to Brendan Keith of the podcast The Officer's Wife. A lot of you may know this story, but the podcast is unbelievable. It's so well done. It's six episodes and then a bonus and I would highly recommend listening to it. It's So compelling, and there's so many details. Now, I will give you a warning that the podcast itself does talk a bit about suicide or uh, ideas of suicide, and we discuss that as well on Pain in the Pod. So, I just want to put that out there before you listen. But take a listen to this interview, and as always, please let me know what you're listening to, and follow me on social media at Pain in the Pod, and you can also find bonus episodes. Over on Patreon, which is patreon.com/slash pain in the pod. Take a listen. Thanks. Hey y'all. Today I am so happy to chat with Brendan Keefe of the podcast The Officer's Wife. Brendan is the chief investigative reporter for 11 Alive in Atlanta, and he's won numerous awards, including Emmys and a Peabody for his reporting. So, I listened to this podcast upon a recommendation from a listener, and right away I was in. Now, I knew I'd heard this story before, probably like a dateline or a 48 hours or something. I knew I'd heard it before, but I certainly did not know all these details. So, here's the case. In April of 2016, the wife of a Griffin, Georgia, police officer was found shot inside a locked closet. So two shots had been fired from her husband's service weapon. She's the victim of an apparent gunshot wound. But what really happened inside that closet and in the hours and the minutes before the shots rang out? Was it a suicide attempt or did someone shoot her and put her in the closet? Did someone put her in the closet? Shooter closed the door. Like, what happened? And it's still uh, lots of questions today. So, Brendan, welcome to the show.
1: It's so good to be here, Mary Payne. Thanks.
0: Okay. So how did you, as a reporter, first hear about this case? Did you hear about it, like, as it was happening in 2016?
1: No. In 2016, a source of mine... Uh, who actually gets outed as part of the process, but a confidential source of mine, uh, was working with me on a totally different story of corruption in the same county. And then he said, you know, there's this interesting case where an officer's wife was shot uh, in the closet. They say it was a suicide attempt, but I'm waiting on the official uh, investigative file And when I get it, let's look at it together. And that's exactly what happened. What's great about a case when it closes is in most states that makes the records subject to open records or public records requests. And so we were able to get the entire case file where, uh, almost ironically, had it been an open case or a case that was going to prosecution, we wouldn't be able to get access to that evidence for years. So it was an opportunity to sort of forensically uh, analyze an investigation. And uh, we jumped at it.
0: Yeah. So, did you first investigate it and then report for it for your news station in Atlanta, and then to turn it into a podcast, or Absolutely. did you just go straight to podcast?
1: Yeah. No. No. This uh, when we started investigating this, uh, podcasts were uh, you know in their early days uh, with Serial and you know a few others, sort of setting the stage. At that time, we weren't even thinking podcast, even though this is the perfect case for a podcast because there's so many what we call actualities, there's body camera video with audio recordings, there's interviews with audio recordings. Uh, That's incredibly helpful when you're putting together a podcast, because instead of just describing, you know, what, what happened, you can actually play what happened and let the listener sort of follow along. We kind of did that in the, in the TV story. The TV story was told really Dateline style, where everything was a reveal. Um, every reveal was bigger than the one before. So even though you kn- we know essentially the whole story, even though we still don't know what happened in that closet, you still tell the story where it's a journey of discovery and where each sort of revelation is bigger than the one before. And it's the kind of storytelling I like to employ, but obviously it's completely true nonfiction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you do a great job of that in the podcast where sort of Uh, each episode is a little bit of a cliffhanger, right? Where then you get a little tease for the next episode. You're like, oh, wait. From the beginning, you don't know what happened to the husband. And you definitely don't know what happened to Jessica. Like, is she dead? Is she alive? Was she suicidal? Was she not? And all of this stuff kind of unfolds through the podcast when you do a great job of keeping it chronological. And there are surprises in it. So how long did it take for you to put this together? And you had the whole story. So so did you storyboard it out to figure out how you were going to tell it? And how long did that take?
1: Yeah, actually, when I write a TV story, because our show that we have here in Atlanta every Sunday at 6 is called The Reveal. Uh, you can also get it wow. at TheReveal.tv. There's a YouTube playlist at TheReveal.tv. Uh, we do wow. uh, only three stories in a half hour, uh, three news stories in a half hour, uh, whereas typically a TV news story is a minute 15 to a minute 30 um, on tape, so to speak. I'm dating myself saying tape, but you know, basically <laughs> the recorded, pre-recorded, pre-edited news story. We're doing stories that are five and six minutes or longer, and this was one of those stories. We called it Trigger at the time. It was Trigger, who shot the officer's wife. And when I storyboarded it, what I did was I simply wrote down each surprising thing that I had learned as part of my investigation. And then I sort of graded those revelations, you know, okay, the baby, he just found out the baby's not his. That's a pretty big one. Is she alive or dead? That's a pretty big one. Uh, the locked door in the closet, the officer's grandfather is the sheriff in the same county. That's a pretty big revelation. So I would score those and then make sure in the storytelling that each reveal was bigger than the one before.
0: I mean, just as you're saying that, I completely forgot about the grandfather. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? There's so many huge things that happened in this story that i had even forgotten that the baby wasn't his so sh- there was two children. Were neither one of those children his or just one was his?
1: Yeah. So spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't listened to the podcast <laughs> yet. I don't remember. Um, yeah. but, but sort of these were the big reveals. And I remember it because when I first did the TV story, this is how I charted them out. I start the TV story with the body camera video. Officers respond to shots fired in an apartment. And you see them running in. Ooh. They get inside and they hear a baby crying. There's a baby in the, in the apartment with the alleged gunman or gun Mm -hmm. person. And then they find a locked closet door. They kick in the locked closet door. They find a body underneath the body. They find a gun. It's one of theirs, a police gun. Why is there a police gun under the body? Because her husband is a Griffin police officer. Then we're kind of off to the races. And then you discover that she lives And again, spoiler alert, they even had told her family she was dead and she had lived. She then wakes up, has no memory of the event, but doesn't believe she had shot herself. So that's pretty big. Then they're interviewing the officer and he essentially says, yeah, I just found out the second baby's not mine and that they were getting a divorce, that she was leaving him. That's pretty big. Then a text message is sent from her phone to his phone. That's a suicide message. Um, these were all sort of steps in the revelation process. Uh, And then they get bigger and bigger from there. And then you find out there's a mistress. You find out they were both cheating at one point, but you find out that the officer had a mistress and he was texting his mistress within seconds on either side of calling in shots fired. And those texts don't have the same sort of emotional character of someone who's in the middle of a gun battle.
0: Right. It's like, LOL. Call you later. Love you a lot. And we're like... And then meanwhile, it's like, my wife's been shot. Right. (laughs) Very strange. And you go into a lot of that on your uh, bonus episode, which was the last episode to come out of The Officer's Wife, which was fantastic. So my next question was going to be, how how can you sort through all these details? Because like I've listened to the entire thing and the bonus and you're telling me things. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I forgot because... It's not as straightforward as it would seem on the outset. And and I will also commend you, as you're saying about the body camera and stuff, I will also commend you on uh, the website, which really uh, gives uh, shows you that body cam footage and stuff like that. And that's, I think, what I remember seeing on Dateline or 48 Hours or wherever I saw this case initially. I remember that body cam footage and them finding her. And it's all very real-time Meanwhile, the husband is outside freaking out. And you later find out he's just kind of randomly also texting his girlfriend. But how is he texting her? Like if the phone's in the kitchen, like that's another question, you know? As I'm talking, I'm realizing more things that I have questions about. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And then we come back uh, with Brendan Keefe of The Officer's Wife. We're going to talk more about some of these details. Be right back.
2: This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is, with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Plus Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details.
0: Okay, I'm back with Brendan Keefe of the podcast, The Officer's Wife. So I was trying to get into the details, and like I usually do, I got really excited and ahead of myself. So, okay, let's talk about the details. Jessica, the victim, had never handled a firearm. Okay, this is by all accounts. She says it now. She's still alive. She says she's not into guns. She not handled a firearm. Yet, she locked herself in a closet and shot herself twice. Now, she has two children that she's very dedicated to. And they're in the apartment asleep. And if someone's trying to commit suicide, you don't normally shoot yourself twice. Usually one time, you know, do it or knock you out, at least. So... How do we explain the two rounds shot in a suicide attempt? Even You even had a, um, an officer say, you know, very rarely do you ever see two rounds shot in a suicide attempt. So how is that explained?
1: Yeah, these are all like exactly the questions we had early on. You know, I didn't even know this was a news story when we first started looking into it. It was just something that was curious. But when everything in the investigation pointed toward an attempted suicide – it wasn't that this was an objective following of the facts wherever they might lead. This was conclusion selective investigation on the part of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. The GBI is a really respected criminal investigative agency. In this case, for whatever reason, they botched the investigation. They failed to do so many basics. But you start with two shots fired in the closet. And instead of sort of following where those facts might lead, they instead tried to explain how it might be possible for someone to fire two rounds into two different walls at different trajectories if it were an attempted suicide, rather than trying to say, wait, how did this happen uh, without trying to get to the conclusion that she must have tried to shoot herself? And, you know, we say we lock, she locked herself in the closet. We don't actually say that because in investigative reporting, we report what we know, not what we think we know. What we do know is she was found in a locked closet. We don't know who locked her in that closet. It could have been Jessica. It could have been someone else. And then there's that troubling lock on that closet. It's not a typical keyed lock. It's a bathroom lock that can only be locked and unlocked from the inside. Who in the world would have such a lock on a closet? You would be trying to keep people out when you're outside, not keep people out when you're inside, except for the sole purpose of the one time you try to shoot yourself.
0: Right, right. And that was explained a little bit like all the apartments in the building are the same. And her neighbor, her friend said, we don't have any closets like that. And then, you know, it was explained like, well, you know, when people move, maybe the handyman just came in and had to fix a lock and just put in whichever one he had. Now, is the lock what I'm thinking of like my kids have where it's a, it's a lock, but it has like a tiny pinhole in the middle exactly. and you can stick that little pin in. It goes pop. Like That's I have to right. do to my teenage daughter's room all the time. Like don't lock your door. And then I pop it open.
1: That's so it's exactly a
0: closet. It's like that. It's okay. Like. So you wouldn't put that on a closet. It would. Yeah. No, yeah.
1: everything is possible. I mean, the thing is I keep a total open mind. Everyone involved in this podcast, uh, Jessica Knoll who worked with me on the initial investigation, uh, she and I, both, and Sheila Matthews, who's this incredible dogged investigative reporter in Griffin, self-publishes a paper. And her husband's a police officer, a lieutenant in that same department, can you imagine? Wow. Uh, and yet she was she has been very critical of the department. All three of us have no idea. We just don't know what happened in that closet. And to be working on this since 2016, to do three major investigative news stories on television— of the 60-minute style and length. Uh, We actually did a whole half-hour special investigation on this. To do all of that plus a uh, six-episode podcast, I still don't know what happened in that closet. And for anyone to say they do know, really the only one who knows for sure is the one who pulled the trigger.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, two people know, but Jessica, you know, can't remember... And, you know, it was interesting listening to her talk because she said, you know, maybe one day I will, you know, maybe one day it'll come to me. But at this point, she can't even trust that what she would know would be the truth because so many things have gone in, right? Like you can't, you know, maybe one day it will come back to her. But she said, honestly, she doesn't really want to remember because you can imagine how traumatic that would be for her, whichever way it goes, that she could have been in such a low place that she tried to commit suicide or that her husband would have done it, you know, either, either way is terrible. And, uh, she says she feels like she, she knows what happened. She, she feels that he shot her. Yeah. She, she definitely feels that
1: way. No question. But then here, doesn't it add to her credibility that she didn't make it up? I mean, if she's making up the rest of it and it's all supported by the facts, everything she's saying, but not remembering what happened right before she was shot in the closet, um, actually, it lends to her credibility because if she's going to make it up, why not make up that part?
0: Right. Why not right. just go all the way through? He shot me, pushed me in the closet. You know the whole thing. Um, because she's got all the forensics. I mean, she could figure out how to say, you know, this came from up or down, or you know, um, yeah. I just think uh, the whole thing is so interesting. So, speaking of the suicide, there, she had sent her husband some text saying she was suicidal. She didn't want to go on like this. She had felt this way for a long time. But from all accounts of that time frame, from her friends and her family, and from Jessica herself, that was not true. She was actually feeling very hopeful. She had recently gotten a new job and was getting her plan to leave him. And he had called the police on her many times, which you guys pointed out was odd for a police officer to sort of uh, show that vulnerability that uh, his wife maybe was abusive towards him. Like that's just sort of uh, not the culture. So it seems to me he was trying to establish this timeline of abuse. It seems like all these actions do seem that he had sort of set it up. So what's your thought on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it just adds more to the questions. And when we say, you know, she sent a text message, we just know a a text message was sent from her phone to his phone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she says that that's not the way she speaks. Uh, You know, I've gotten to know Jessica pretty well. It, It doesn't sound like the way she writes or speaks, which is one thing. And then two, when you're looking at suicide, it's pretty standard to look at, is someone making future plans? Right. There was laundry you know, in the dryer. Generally, right before you kill yourself, you don't go make sure to change the laundry from the washer to the dryer.
0: Right. It's not that important. Right. You
1: don't make plans for what you're going to tell your divorce attorney, which is right in the composition book in front of where she was shot. You're not Mm -hmm. writing down, I want this in the divorce if you're not going to be around. And you certainly don't make arrangements to go to orientation the next morning at your new job. Right. You know, she didn't call in dead, so to speak, to her new job. Uh, all of these things indicate that she was not planning to kill herself. Now, sometimes these are split second irrational decisions. So it's not proof of anything, but if someone was planning to kill themselves, you would expect to find that. There's one thing also we don't discuss is that um, gunfire to the head is not the typical manner of suicide or attempted suicide among women. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. It's usually uh, pills or, or hanging. And by the way, this is, you know, because this is sensitive to a lot of people. My uncle uh, killed himself, committed suicide after a bout with mental uh, illness and depression. We made sure on every one of these podcasts to make sure that there was a uh, suicide hotline number and a way and resources to get help because we want to make sure that we're not in any way either stigmatizing people who've been through this or glorifying this because we want to make sure we prevent suicide and attempted suicide.
0: Oh, absolutely. The fact that she could have attempted suicide is definitely not glossed over or um, put to the side. You guys definitely you know, go into, now, could this have happened? And she seemed to ha- take meticulous notes on things. So it seems to me, if she was going to commit suicide, and like I said, she had two young children that she was very devoted to, she would have written something down because she wrote things down. She was, she was a person like me. She made lists. And she had lists and notes and things about her new job, about uh, what custody could be, like what alimony she might need. So the fact that she was a writer and wrote things down and made lists doesn't lend itself to somebody who would do that, especially with her two children there in the apartment. My theory is that he shot her and she fell into the closet and then he closed the door. You the know, there it's the door.
1: there's yeah, so many possibilities like the evidence fits so many different stories. And it's interesting. I've had people contact me and say the opposite. They've said both. I mean, it seems to be I don't want to say split. We haven't done a, a formal poll, but I've had, you know, people contact me and say, I think I think she did it. And I think it's, you know, her husband's a victim of circumstance. And then the flip side, people say he did it. Um, or, or even some people will say maybe a third party did it and we don't know where they are. What we do know is that her husband, her now ex-husband, the police officer, Matthew Boynton, lied because he put in an official report that he didn't have any of her things. And what of out of all the things he kept of hers and then lied about keeping, it was her getaway bag. That still yep. strikes me that it's, it amounts to a trophy. And I can say this without any attribution because it's on videotape when he's interrogated by his own police department. And this is one of those little things, especially for true crime uh, podcast folks, they'll they'll know this or they'll be interested in it. There's two ways a police officer can be interrogated by his or her own police department. They can be interrogated under Garrity or under Miranda. Garrity is similar to Miranda in that um, basically when you're a police officer, you are an employee obviously of of that department. But if they're investigating, you also can't say no to your boss when they ask you questions because then you could lose your job. Ooh. So then you kind of lose that Miranda protection and remain silent. So they came up with this thing called Garrity, and it's like Miranda. It's named after a specific case that went to the Supreme Court where an officer can be questioned under these Garrity rights, but then those answers cannot be used against that officer criminally. They can only be used internally for you know, punishment or internal investigation. They can't be used against them in a court of law. Ah. Matthew Boynton was questioned under Miranda. When they called him in, they didn't say, here's your Garrity rights, and you sign a form saying, yeah, I'm aware that everything I'm saying can be used against me internally but not in court. Mm -hmm. But no, they said, no, we're Mirandizing you. And they read him his rights, and then he admitted lying on the form. Of course, he was cleared by the grand jury, which is a black box mysterious process. Took a year, and we don't know why. Also in Georgia, police officers are entitled to speak to the grand jury directly. They're allowed to go into the grand jury room. They're they're the only criminal defendants who are allowed to go into the grand jury. And so Matthew Boynton was allowed to address the grand jury. We don't know what he said. Right. What we do know is that they decided not to indict him, even though he admitted on camera filing a false police report.
0: Yeah. The overnight bag, and I have a whole little section here I was going to ask you about that, and you brought it up. There was nothing secret in the overnight bag. It was, and this is on your website, it was like um, a T-shirt and shorts pajama bottoms, bra, underwear, her retainer. There was nothing in it. It wasn't like a secret note, like my husband's trying to kill me. If you find this bag, you know, he's guilty. There was no, nothing secret in it. It was a, a change of clothes, pajamas, her retainer, and like her deodorant. And so that's, yeah. to me, that's the weirdest thing, that he's going to fall on his sword for this overnight bag. You know, like, like that's the thing that gets him fired.
1: Yeah, not only that, but... I will give the Griffin Police Department credit on this. When they were looking at, okay, they were going to look at him for stealing these things, for, you know, under theft. And what they would have to prove is that some of the items in there of value were not marital property, because otherwise it's just a civil matter and part of the divorce. Uh They looked at her retainer, which had her name on it. They actually went to the orthodontist in town. And got them to the orthodontist to verify that that retainer was hers before the marriage. So that made it her property and her property alone so that you know, oh, your, your husband wow. can't steal something from you if you both own it. But because she had this before they were married, it belonged only to her wow. and they were able to get that verified. And the retainer actually has quite a bit of value I and mean, retainers aren't cheap. So that right. this made it essentially a potential felony theft, um, wow. and and it changes the whole story. Now obviously, they ended up only going after him for filing a false police report and violation of his oath of office, which you hear in the podcast, his oath of office miraculously disappears from the police department, Ooh. and they were going to drop that charge. You know, there's a lot of interesting things going on inside the Griffin Police Department, but at least they did the retainer investigation right.
0: Wow. And I think about, like, my retainer. No, I got it since I've been married. So, like, my husband owns my retainer. (laughs) So, I mean, it's interesting. And then another thing I was going to ask you about, when he calls into the police, he says, you know, I'm at my apartment. There's something going on. I'm running up the stairs. I hear, um, I just heard a shot, two rounds. I heard a shot, two rounds. So, I didn't really think about that in the main podcast, but in your bonus episode, you talk about... How does he know to say one shot, two rounds? If it's one shot, it's one round. So why does he say two rounds? How did he know it was two rounds? And that's a really, really interesting point as well. How would he know it's two rounds if he only heard one shot?
1: Yeah. Now, look, he's he's in a traumatic situation. But remember that he had a tremendous amount of training and experience as a police officer for a brief time. I was an auxiliary police officer in the NYPD for about two years. Wow. Um, I had volunteered to join the NYPD and served as a reserve officer, basically patrolling you know once a week in Manhattan. What I can tell you is that later when my wife and I were involved in an, in an assault, this drunk guy basically put my wife and me in the hospital. God, um, Now, it was, a, it was a really awful situation. But here's what's interesting. When the police arrived on the scene, I spoke to them, even though I was bleeding from a wound that would need surgery and my wife was unconscious, I was able to communicate with the officers in a calm way because I just went back to my training. And mm-hmm. I even, you know, I said, there was this man, he was threatening my wife, And I even quoted the statute. I said, you know, fearing imminent serious bodily injury or death, I took action to prevent it. This is fairly standard that police officers will uh, revert to their training, um, especially in a traumatic situation, because let's face it, policing isn't easy. And you're constantly meeting people on the worst day of their lives. So for him to run up the stairs and say, I just heard a shot coming up the stairs, Mm -hmm. two rounds, it's, it's almost as if he catches himself. Now, is he catching himself because he heard two rounds and he misspoke or is he catching himself because he's making up a story? We don't know. It's just very weird to say, I heard a shot. He didn't say what you'd normally do is you'd call in shots fired, send, a, you know, send an ambulance to my location, send, send police to my location, yeah, whatever. Right. And, then, and then you'd fill in details after that. But he says a shot and then corrects himself to say two rounds. It's an oddity. And then, of course, he's, he's a nervous wreck. I mean, he's a, an emotional wreck until they tell him that his wife is going to live. Then he calms down. I don't know about you, but if you told me that my wife, who I thought was dead or dying, is suddenly going to live, I would then get emotional. Who knows? It hasn't happened to me. But I would then get emotional and want to know where she is and how can I go to her bedside. But he doesn't say that. He calms down and then just gives more details, sort of filling in his movements he starts going into sort of the laying down the evidence for where he was and what happened after he finds out she's alive. And, you know, is it because he knows she's going to be able to give a statement? I don't know. Right. right. It's just odd to be emotional and then calm down once they say she's going to live.
0: Right. And the timeline of that shot fired is also problematic because two people in the apartment complex heard that shot an hour before he says he heard the shot.
1: Four people in two different apartments, which is amazing. And, and think about it. They didn't talk to that. The the GBI didn't talk to the immediate next door neighbor for three months, roughly three months. They didn't talk to the trauma surgeon for three months. They didn't talk to the first officer on the scene for three months. And it was only when they were, their investigation was being questioned and they'd already cleared the officer. I mean, this is investigation 101. You always interview the trauma surgeon or the, or the medical examiner. You always interview the immediate next door neighbor and you always interview the first officer on scene. <sighs>
0: So many details. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. I have a few more detailed-oriented questions for you, and then we'll talk about podcasts.
2: Be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today.
0: Okay, I am back with Brendan Keefe of the podcast, The Officer's Wife. All right, I have a couple of more detail-oriented questions for you because I really can't get enough. Because the more you're saying, the more I'm remembering that I need to ask you. So I want to I want to ask you more about her divorce journal she was keeping. So, okay, he has a girlfriend that's established. He's unhappy in the marriage. She's unhappy in the marriage. She'd recently gotten a job. She was planning to leave. They were both happy to separate because they both had other things going on and they were making progress towards that. So in your opinion, if he shot her, why would, why would he be trying to kill her when he is moving on and she is moving on?
1: That's a really good question. And who knows, Um, you know, when you, when you add in all of the details, I sort of have two columns. She shot herself or he shot her. And you can take each piece of evidence and say, does, is this disqualifying uh, or is it possible? And what's so confounding about this case is every piece of evidence can fit in both columns. Uh-huh, <laughs> and right. so, wh- you know, why? But you, why is a really good question. But as you know, this is you know the case with every kind of homicide or attempted homicide. There's only a few reasons, you know, and it's money, jealousy, homicidal rage, psychosis, whatever. But in this case, you know, jealousy would be a big one. Um, now, Jessica had just found while he was in the shower she went through his phone and found pictures of the other woman. And, Ooh, this, not good. and this led to a fight at Walmart by all accounts to right? where she would, didn't even want to get in the truck with him. She was going to just walk home, and even with the kids there. So you can understand where finding out about the other woman might lead you to suicide, and you could also realize why finding out about the other woman might also get you shot by your man. So both of those are possible. And then there's also one other really interesting possibility is that this wasn't even a gunshot wound that that's one theory is that she was struck over the top of the head. And this is one of her theories was that she was struck on the top of the head and the gun went off. She was she was basically pistol whipped and the gun went off because whoever did this, their finger would be on the trigger and it went off. And that person might think they (laughs) shot her. They might think they shot her. Okay. And then they would have to then make the scene look like an attempted
0: suicide. Mm-hmm. But, because, it, but there's two shots. So one accidentally went off and then one was on purpose. Like, who knows?
1: Maybe. And the round that supposedly hit Jessica in the head was never recovered. Isn't that interesting? I mean, there's so many of these things we couldn't even fit in a six episode podcast. Um, that So
0: the idea would be that the person who shot her maybe picked it up.
1: Well, no, I mean, the, the bullet definitely went through, uh, it went through the closet wall, it went through the bedroom wall, it went through the bedroom ceiling, it went through the attic floor, and it went through the attic roof of the apartment complex. They were on the Dang. top floor. And the bullet, they looked for it, but it was never recovered. So, and this was at such an upward angle, it literally went out the roof. And this is the bullet that supposedly shot her in the head in an attempted suicide. So we, we don't have a bullet to trace either back to that gun, uh, although there's no indications there was from another gun, but we also don't have it to look for tissue or, you know, any sort of DNA or residue. Now, her DNA was found on the gun. You know, this wasn't in the main part of the podca- podcast, but the GBI really sort of, you know, had its whole case hanging on the fact that her DNA was found on the gun. Mm-hmm. But But I think they were looking at it like, you know, Look, if your DNA was on my gun, Mary Payne, that would be a very interesting thing because what are you doing with my gun? But if Jessica's DNA is found on her husband's gun in her closet under her body, that doesn't tell us anything except that she made contact with the gun, which is also on the body camera footage.
0: Right, right. The body camera footage is something. Okay, now a few follow-up questions. Does he, Matthew, see his children now?
1: Yeah. They have essentially a shared custody. She's Uh the primary. She has primary custody. But initially they took the children away from her entirely on a temporary basis uh, because he testified as a police officer known to that court that uh, he had nothing to do with it. And two, that the GBI had determined she pulled the trigger. And so with the government deciding that she had tried to kill herself with the children in the apartment and one of the bullets was found in the baby's bedroom in the wall. It had gone through multiple walls and ended up near the baby's crib (sighs) that they determined this was child endangerment from a custody standpoint and prohibited her from seeing her own children. And so you can see where the court would make that decision. But since all of this she has has primary custody and then he can see them.
0: Wow. So she still has to deal with him because they're sharing custody. So what is his uh, what is his job now? I know that he can't be a police officer and that he let his credentials lax, that he could be a public safety officer, which I guess is like a security. Well, no, it's card. the same
1: thing. So there's oh. police officer standards and training is just the organization that certifies police officers in Georgia. So he was a peace officer, meaning he can be a police officer, a deputy anywhere in the state. But for some reason, he let his certification expire. It's not clear why he did that. He could have it reinstated by simply going through whatever the requirements are for like firearms qualification and other mandatory trainings. Yeah. He could get it reinstated. You know, it might take a week. Uh, And he could be a police officer anywhere. The last I had heard, he was working in a cell phone store, selling cell phones, basically. But I don't know what is uh, for sure what his current employment is right now. But he's not a police officer.
0: What is uh, Jessica doing now? Or she's just being a mom? Or does she have a a job outside the home?
1: Yeah, Jessica is engaged. um, And she has another child. um, Uh uh, So she has a third boy. And uh, she is dutifully raising her children. I will say this. Whether or not Jessica Boynton, now Jessica Lester, was suicidal in 2016, there's no indication she was suicidal after that. Uh, There's very little indication she was suicidal before that, although Matthew is the source saying she was um right. after that fact even the doctors in the hospital were saying she didn't seem like someone interested in shooting herself she's all interested in the future which is the doctors remarked was unusual and put that in writing one of the doctors put that in writing and then now uh she seems to be incredibly happy what's also interesting is this was an incredibly traumatic event whether it was an attempted suicide or an attempted murder and
0: right either one
1: it doesn't matter and yet she has been willing to revisit this story multiple times we we did the first tv story the grip in um the mag- the newspaper in griffin did the first sort of reporting on this and then we were reporting it in parallel for television uh in 2016 and then since then the new yorker headline news crime watch daily a whole bunch of uh, media outlets picked it up as you mentioned you'd seen it before Yeah. And, uh, you know, initially we had actually contacted Dateline because we're an NBC affiliate and they weren't interested Mm -hmm. because there was no sort of um, Dateline tends to like things when they're tidy at the end. You know, we know the answer. Right. um you know that when they come out you know imagine if lester holt came out on friday night and said good evening the husband killed her um <laughs> <laughs> he no they like to even though they know the end that the husband's convicted or the husband's acquitted or whoever uh-huh. it is it's usually the husband let's face it uh, at least on dateline and um but yet they tell you the whole story and at the end we know we we have a nice tidy ending here we don't have a tidy ending and so they really weren't interested because we're still left at, with the same mystery today as when we started
0: absolutely yeah and all the players are alive, and you still don't know. That's what's that's what's fascinating about this. Now, you said that when you first uh, started this story in 2016, and then you kind of went into the idea of doing a podcast. Podcasting was sort of new, which is so it's so crazy to me because I listen to so many podcasts, and but I guess it really only has been a big way to people to tell stories for five six years. Now, some podcasters have been out for like ten years, but there's not not many of those. And now I think there's what like. 800,000 podcasts or something crazy. So when you have spare time, which it doesn't sound like you have a lot, what kind of podcast do you listen to?
1: You know, uh, this may sound self-serving, but I'm a huge fan of the Vault Studios podcast like Bardstown. If you oh, haven't yes. heard Bardstown, it's, it's extraordinary. And in part, I, I had actually on that story, particularly the police officer who was, who was ambushed. Uh, where the, a tree was down on the exit, and they and they shot him. Um. I had actually covered that as a reporter in Cincinnati, so it was it was kind of close to my heart uh, because Northern Kentucky is just across the river from Cincinnati. I thought Bardstown was exceptionally well done. I think Jessica Knoll is a really good narrator. Uh, the other one is True Crime Chronicles, which they do uh, weekly. True Crime Chronicles is excellent. It's more of this kind of style podcast where it's more conversational rather cool. than you know heavily produced. But then you know I, I, the first season of Slow Burn you know, the Watergate yeah, right. uh, podcast. Yeah. I, th- uh-huh. I'm, I I love, uh, I'm a news junkie. I've been a news junkie my whole life. So I, I tend to like either true crime uh, or things that recount events we already know about, but in more detail and more intimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's face it, you know, podcasts, the great thing about podcasts is they're like, they're like a companion, particularly in uh, rush hour traffic in Atlanta, which is always, you know, rush hour ends at midnight and starts at 12.01 a.m. <laughs> um, well, it's like in
0: D.C. I was like, they're like, oh, you can't go. It's rush hour. I'm like, it's three o'clock. Right. But right. it's still rush hour. Yeah. yeah.
1: D.C. is, as you as you know, an hour from D.C. Right.
0: It's six miles, but it takes you an hour to it's, get there. You know, yeah. if
1: you're on the Beltway, it's just great. You turn on the podcast. And the other thing, it like lowers your blood pressure. You know, I had to learn how to to narrate all over again. I've been a reporter for three decades, you know, I'm in my 50s and I had to learn because, you know, my TV voice is more like, you know, it's a stronger, more powerful, you know, and it's fake. You know, it's this, you know, tonight, uh, you know, this sort of uh, voice of God, uh, newsreel delivery. And so I had to retrain my voice to sound like a human again and which is odd. But the best podcasts are like when you have an authentic narrator, someone who is not reading from a script, but they are sort of the omniscient narrator who's kind of holding your hand through the through the the dense forest of the story and I had to retrain my voice to do that and I actually had our producer in my ear the whole time with a bluetooth earpiece under my headphones and he was giving me directions, slow it down, add a pause, more conversational. And what's interesting is I went, the first episode I narrated, we went back and started again from scratch because it took me that whole episode to get comfortable which is ironic given I've been either on television or, you know, essentially a broadcaster for my entire life since I was 14. Wow. Um, you, you wouldn't think I'd be, have any discomfort, but it was neat to sort of unlearn the TV voice.
0: That's really interesting what you're saying because I think if I was listening to, to something like The Officer's Wife and somebody came on with that TV voice, it wouldn't seem uh, genuine or wouldn't seem that you were invested in the story. It would seem like you were just reading it right so i think that's a really interesting point you had to you had to speak in your regular voices if you were just speaking to your colleagues um and not in a tv voice and i've really never thought about that in podcasting i guess that the only person that can get away with that is you know keith morrison right uh because i think that's his regular voice and it is his regular voice voice. (laughs) can you
1: imagine me married to keith morrison because you know
0: everything
1: he has that ability, though, to he has that ability to every statement sounds like a like a mysterious question. Like, what were those late night trips to the convenience store? Probably nothing. Or were they murder? You know, he's got that. <laughs>
0: That's a great impression. He's got, of the he's got,
1: and it always starts with, you know, you can relate because it's like, you know, Susie and Bob moved to Metro Washington, D.C. He would take the beltway to work. She would stay at home and organize the the seasoning collection in the kitchen (laughs) but what were those late night phone calls was it state farm or was it murder you know he's so good at that sort of like you know
0: oh i love him he was on my flight he was on my flight last year i was uh i had been in la for some podcast things and i was flying back to dc and this is funny. I was standing in the in the line. I had upgraded my ticket, so I was feeling very fancy. And I was standing there in the line to get on first. And I heard the guy at the front. You know how they say, like, uh, if you have young children, if you're military or whatever. And then they said, and uh, Morrison Keith, if you're here, you can board. <laughs> Morrison Keith. And so just me and a couple of people looked around like, does he mean to say Keith Morrison?
1: Right. And it was and then
0: I looked over and there he was, but he hadn't heard that because they hadn't said his name correctly and he hadn't heard it. And I was wanted to go like, Hey, excuse me. They're, they're telling you to get on the plane. <laughs> and then a minute later they said, and if uh, Morris and Keith, I need you at the you know, thing. And he walked over, showed his ticket and he got on first. Now I don't know why he got on first. He was, um, uh, one row ahead of me to the right. So I stared at him the whole five yeah, hour right. flight or whatever. He took pictures with his cell phone out the window, like us normally, like nerdy people do when you're flying into DC and you can see the Capitol and everything. He was very nice to the flight attendant. I don't know why he got on first. He was already in first class, so he was about to get on anyway. So I don't know why he got on first. Well, network
1: people are special, I guess.
0: I guess to avoid. uh, avoid, Anyway, so Keith Morrison, So also one of my favorite Instagram accounts, is Keith leans on things. It's a great (laughs) Instagram account, and it's just him leaning on things.
1: Can you imagine if he got up to the cockpit and made the announcements for the captain? (laughs) This is your captain speaking. (laughs) What is that strange noise in the engine? Is there something wrong with the plane? It's probably nothing we'll be landing shortly at the terminal and you know what terminal means (laughs) it means the end
0: Oh my God, we could, I could do this all day. Yeah, <laughs> listen, that's amazing. No,
1: but it is. You the podcast <laughs> delivery is important. I mean, there are some people who nail it, and if you think about it, it started really with NPR folks, and it also started with newspaper people. It's also why newspaper reporters are beating us consistently at television awards because we're stuck in this legacy delivery, this legacy storytelling. Ooh. That's it, and I think the the newspaper you know, legacy newspaper reporters are not, they're coming with their authentic voice to the table.
0: That's so, really, really interesting. And I, you know, I like, I've talked to a zillion podcasters and I, and I listen to podcasts all day and I've really never thought about that. You've really given me something to, to um think about here. That's neat. Cause I don't, I just have this voice. I mean, you know, I don't have like a, a TV reporter voice. Having well, that's good that.
1: though, Mary Payne, because you have to have an authentic voice and it's so hard to get it back. Uh, once, you, so, once you've yeah. lost it, once you've sort of become this television news reporter automaton, it's really hard to lose.
0: That's fascinating. Fascinating. All right, I've learned something new. And so that's amazing. So... I really want to thank you for joining me today because I know you're busy and I know that uh, this this podcast has taken up, in addition to your regular job, has taken up a lot of of your promotional time. And so I appreciate it. So tell everybody where they can find out more about you and also the podcast, of course.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm at 11alive.com. I guess Facebook, Brendan Keefe, 11 Alive, but you have to know how to spell Brendan Keefe first. So just Google my name. It'll come up. Um, in terms of our TV show, it's the reveal.tv that will get you to our playlist. Episode six is entirely this podcast. Uh, And we've done 58 episodes now of our show, The Reveal, every week. Um, We have quite an investigative team here. And then, of course, any Vault Studios podcast you can find wherever you get podcasts. But The Officer's Wife, you can get it on Spotify. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, really anywhere that you find your podcasts. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope you'll download it and, and listen to it. Um, even though I lived through the story and even though I recorded the narration and I investigated all of this, I was still listening to each episode in the car, uh, as if, you know, with this sense of suspense. So I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, it sounds self-serving, but I really enjoyed this podcast and I look forward to doing more of them myself.
0: Good. I hope you do. I hope you do more because, uh, a lot of these stories I imagine you report on could lend themselves to a great, uh, true crime podcast. So I really, I really enjoy the officer's wife. And even though, like I said, I knew some of the story I didn't know it all. I thought it was perfectly done. Um, so I highly recommend to all my listeners that you go and check out the officer's wife. All episodes are out now and a bonus episode as well. So thanks for listening to this week's pain in the pod and I'll talk to you next week.